Alright, looks like we're live this time. Sorry guys, uh, I had a little bit of an issue with the network connection here. Um, so if you see this post twice, uh, that's why. Uh, but hopefully we're set to go this time. This is Greg, Sports Rehab Expert Mentorship. And uh, today we're going to be talking with a case study about a baseball player um, who's experiencing some lateral elbow pain. Um, and, and what this discussion is going to be about is more or less about how the other areas of the kinetic chain and other areas of the body can kind of play a role um, for a particular painful site. And, and that's kind of what I thought was happening a lot with this area. So as we get into the background um, with this uh, case study and this uh, collegiate athlete that I was working with, um, feel free to ask questions. Um, I'm gonna kind of give a brief rundown of some of the history, um, subjective findings that I had, objective tests, and then get into a little bit of treatment as well. Um, if this spurs a thought uh, as it relates to a case that you may have in the clinic or uh, anything of the nature of a question of what I was doing um, and want further clarification, feel free to just type it in the comments below. Uh, if you're here with me live, type in live to the chat. If you're catching the replay, be sure to type in replay to the chat. Uh, that way it can help uh, keep track of who's watching and better help you um, as you start to ask questions and uh, always looking forward to any type of uh, questions that you may have too for the topics of discussion that you want with these live discussions. Um, we're going to be trying to do this a lot more frequently here so um, always looking for your input as well. Um, but without further ado uh, we'll get into this case study here and um, the the player here was he was a junior in college, um, this is a low, uh, smaller school that he was going to, been pitching for quite a while, uh, throws kind of mid, mid to low 80s, um, but he's been experiencing uh, uh, currently some right elbow pain. Uh, now when you get into a subjective history with him, he's been dealing with shoulder issues bilaterally actually uh, for quite some time, um, but uh, in particular obviously on his throwing arm, had been experiencing a lot of uh, superior and anterior shoulder pain that has been going on for years and kind of back into his high school days. Uh, no real mechanism of injury that he could remember or described, um, just obviously uh, doing a lot of pitching, a lot of throwing, and in certain scenarios, probably not taking as good of care of his arm as he could have uh, back in his younger days and, and even in college, actually, too, uh, as we started to discuss what he was kind of doing to help out with his arm. Um, so anterior shoulder pain, uh, he would describe some kind of burning pain kind of running down his arm, but that's usually towards the, um, that was towards the end of last season um, that he got that type of pain. Um, and... and this is actually a pretty old case. Uh, I worked with him uh, during the summer and uh, just recently met up with him again uh, as he's starting to get into the, the season, this coming season, and, and doing much better. And that's, that's kind of what thought, you know, spurred the idea of doing this case study. But anyways, so take it back, last baseball season, he was getting a lot of burning pain, kind of running down the arm, and that would happen towards the end of his, his pitches. And you notice his velocity would kind of drop down into... Uh, the mid to even lower 70s, so dropped about 10 miles an hour in his fastball, couldn't kind of go through a hole. I think he mentioned he had only really felt comfortable kind of throwing about 40 pitches at the time um, before things started to get uh, really painful for him and he had to pull himself from games. Um, and, and that, again, has been kind of a common thing that's been getting worse and worse every year for him. Um, now, when we... Uh, 
when I asked him about you know what he was doing beforehand to try to help out with the issue, he was describing a lot of rotator cuff activities. He was describing a lot of thrower ten activities, um, and uh, doing the common rotator cuff exercises that you would. Um, and one simple question that I asked him was, you know, where do you feel that exercise at? And he would always point to right in the front of his shoulder or right in the top side of his shoulder as he was doing some type of, uh, you know, a potential a W, a Y raise, or, you know, any of those typical rotator cuff exercises that you would expect. Um, so right there, and then I knew that he probably wasn't getting the most out of these type of exercises that he potentially could be. Um, so we're going to have to kind of tailor some things back so we started... So we could start feeling the, the exercises where they were intended to work. Now, again, he's currently dealing with elbow pain um, that's very localized to the lateral epicondyle um, with some of the resistance testing that we did, um, painful wrist extension, painful third and fourth digit extension. Um, so kind of thinking the ECRB there a little bit with things too. He's not reporting any numbness, tingling, burning pain at rest. Um, that was just a description that he gave uh, when he was playing the game um, and towards the end of his uh, towards the end of 40 pitches or so where he would start getting some of these symptoms and really know that he had to shut it down um, but uh, he, he would always describe shoulder pain with this as well too but that's just something that's been going on for years um, so we didn't necessarily think more of it um, just a lot more of the focal pain currently was at the elbow um, so no real range of motion restrictions as far as uh, uh, the, the the measurements go, supination, pronation, um, shoulder range of motion was on the hypermobile aspect of things as you would expect for a pitcher had a lot of layback into external rotation um, and his internal rotation wasn't actually bad. Um, sometimes you'll see those, uh, you know, got 110 degrees of external rotation and they maybe are only limited to you know, 20 degrees of internal rotation. Um, he, he had that 110, 115 degrees of external rotation. Um, his internal rotation was around 160. So actually when you look at the total shoulder range of motion, he's right there around 180 degrees. So not, not bad with his total shoulder range of motion whatsoever. Um, when you uh, kind of do some joint play with him, you could see that the anterior capsule was you know, pretty lax. It was very easy for me to kind of draw the shoulder up into the shoulder joint. That was painful for him in the anterior shoulder as well, too. Um, and, and, you know, this has just been common for him for a very, very long time. Um, asked him if he ever dislocated his arm or anything like that, and he said no. Um, never really had any specific pinpoint injuries. Um, just has always been an issue that he's dealt with um, moving forward. So, what potentially may be happening, this is kind of where we're linking the shoulder to the elbow, um, is that obviously the pitching is a very dynamic task, a very forceful task. Um, and if he's not able to control his um, mechanics and control the, the humerus in the glenoid uh, optimally um, and efficiently and do so with some type of capacity endurance throughout uh, a pitching game, um, there's going to be a lot more stress placed down the chain. Perhaps he may be placing a little bit more torque at his elbow to achieve velocity on his pitches, uh, being the fact that um, you know he's a little bit weaker in the upper extremity. Um, as we went further into some of the testing, um, he, he couldn't do some basic movements either. Um, that was you know pretty significant. So he couldn't hold a static plank with his arms just in front of him like this without any type of anterior shoulder pain either. Um, 
to, I asked him if he did a push up, and he says, yeah, the strength coach kind of makes me, but it irritates the heck out of his shoulder. He feels it right in the anterior shoulder. Um, and when you watched him do it, uh, his lumbar, um, he would he would sag quite a bit at his lumbar area, um, lose any type of core engagement, let his rib cage flare, and just drop his pelvis right down towards the uh, the floor. Um, so it wasn't, it's a very dyssynchronous push up between the upper extremity and the lower extremity, um, wasn't able to control his core very well or display strength in his upper extremity for that matter either. Um, we, uh, we did a couple, we tried a couple exercises in, in prone just to kind of see if he could, uh, you know, elicit some type of shoulder posterior cuff activity. So like a, a T raise that he'd done in the past for his programs. Um, first mistake that he, I, I saw him made was he was trying to get as high up as his arm could take him. Um, and, and he was just jamming his shoulder further and further into horizontal abduction that so far forward that his shoulder would migrate even further into anterior shoulder capsule and, and put more pressure into the, the biceps um, and other anterior shoulder structures as well too that would cause him a pain in the front side of the shoulder because he was going so far back into horizontal abduction because um, he was trying to go as far as he could, not necessarily perform the correct movement with uh, proper scapulomoral um, uh, mechanics happening there. So first and foremost, we had to kind of just shallow his range of motion up quite a bit. Um, and what we actually ended up doing is putting him in quadruped um, and forcing him to obtain a good position at his thorax, um, try to retract his thorax back towards his scapula a little bit so um, that that was sitting a little bit more flush as opposed to um, just laying on his stomach, which would have a tendency to kind of bias him into his extension. Uh, and that allowed him to um, perform the movement pain-free, feel the activity in his posterior um, cuff. And uh, it, it also, when you took, we still had to educate him as far as you know what height was good. So I could just kind of put my hand there as a blocker and just told him to kind of get parallel with the ground. And that's all the higher I wanted to get. And uh, that took away a lot of his pain, plus he could feel the exercise in the correct area. Um, so that's, that's where we had to s start there. Hey, what's up, John? Thanks for joining, man. Um, and, and so that's a lot of the activities that we just started there for shoulders, just more sensory awareness, trying to get him aware of how to feel the correct musculature to perform the, the task that we're trying to get him to do. Um, and then eventually kind of build some resistance up um, on top of that. Now, going back to his elbow, obviously we had a, a local injury at hand too there um, with some of the testing, painful wrist extension, painful third and fourth digit extension as well too. Um, kind of typical presentation as a, a lateral epicondyle pain. Um, again, why this may have happened, um, twofold, you know, Potentially his shoulder's not doing as much work as he could, so his elbow has to work a little bit overtime in that scenario, or the forceful pronation that kind of comes involved with pitching as well too, um, placing a lot of eccentric stress across that area um, could be potential mechanisms. But anyways, we had a, a tissue capacity issue going on at that particular point in time. So um, we had to find particular exercises that we could start loading those tendons up again. Um, when I perform uh, the manual muscle test of wrist extension, third and fourth digit extension. Uh, I tried it in elbow extension and um, elbow flexed at 90 degrees too. Uh, his pain was when he had his arm completely straight, his elbow extended. Uh, that's when he had the most pain and caused the most provocation with those tests. 
uh, with the elbow bent at 90 and supported on the table, just the wrist off the edge. I uh, really didn't have much pain at all with that particular task. So that's where we kind of started loading him initially was um, with the, the elbow flex and his uh, forearm supported. So uh, what we did was we just did some your standard forearm exercises really. Um, wrist extension with the dumbbell, um, nice slow controlled movements for 10 to 12 reps. Uh, we just started with a um, five pound weight actually. Uh, so wrist extension there. Then we did pronation supination, just nice slow controlled with five pound dumbbell in his hand uh, and gave him a rubber band around his wrist or around his fingertips to perform some uh, finger extension uh, with that elbow flexed at 90 degrees. Um, 10 to 12 reps, everything was nice, slow, and under control. Uh, made sure that he was able to tolerate all those activities well um, and perform them on a daily basis. Um, as he started to do that, then we um, took him into elbow extension a little bit more and more over time um, and performed those same activities as well too with both the elbow flexed and the elbow extended then kind of gradually started to increase some of the load that went along with that. Um, and that was again to all address the, the tissue capacity there as well. Um, I did perform a little bit of soft tissue work. Um, only reason for that was just because when he first came and see, saw me, um, we had a lot of discomfort just performing any type of activities. So anything that I could do to just kind of get him a little bit more comfortable performing some type of resistance activity was really my intent behind doing that. Um, and the treatment of choice that I used was just IAS, IASTM. Um, what we did there wasn't anything specific. And if you really want me to get into details, I can, but I, I just went across the wrist extension muscles uh, up to the brachioradialis. Um, it really kind of stopped at the deltoid tuberosity and just, just worked that area um, down into the hand. Um, it just to, it was much more comfortable for him to perform those resistance activities, especially after doing that as well too. Um, initially when I was seeing him as well, he felt that that kind of lasted for a couple of days as well too. So he could perform those activities on a daily basis. And he felt like it could just be more aggressive with those exercises, what he told me. Um, so in my opinion, that's a win with the manual therapy is just getting them to perform that resistance activity a little bit more frequently, potentially a little bit more aggressively to start making some longer term changes down the road. Um, so continue to emphasize all those forearm strengthening activities over time. Um, and once he was on that program, it was just more like a linear progression that kind of happened with those sort of exercises uh, and more and more focus started getting placed on the shoulder. Um, now, as we started really diving into things um, and, and talking, he had mentioned that he went through a huge growth spurt um, at, from sophomore to junior year of high school. And this guy's probably about 6'3", 6'4", um, real lanky, kind of skinny dude, not very strong, um, kind of a typical guy that you would expect being a pitcher, but then also um, having a growth spurt like that affecting him as well too. Um, and just when you watch him do some other movements as well, such as like a squat, um, a lunge, uh, even just single leg balance activities, um, not the most coordinated individual, um, which is another thing with a lot of these athletes is you think high level athletes are always going to be coordinated, but it's definitely not the case. Um, and especially with some of these more specialty positions with certain sports, um, you, you have a lot of different unique body types that kind of come to you. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean a lot of times their genetics are kind of the causation of why they're so good and the, the sport kind of self selects them. 
um, and the that's the sort of it doesn't necessarily that's what kind of makes them great. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're the most coordinated individual um, in other sports or even in the weight room too, because a lot of these guys just could care less about the weight room as well. And, and he was one of them. He really could care less about going into the weight room. Um, but kind of got him onto this, some uh, very, we did not do a ton of different shoulder exercises because again, I, I was more concerned about how specific he was with the activity, how um, technically proficient he was with the activity than how many acti activities I could give him for the rotator cuff. Um, so we stuck with a, um, that horizontal T, um, we stuck with a prone row, um, just to 90 degrees with the elbow bent. Um, and then after he got that down with scapular retraction, then we added external rotation. So that prone row to external rotation. And we stayed there on the table or on all, all fours position because he was able to pick up that a lot better than um, the previous stuff he had been doing with his trainer, um, which was standing row to external rotation where your body's kind of free to, to move in space. It's a little bit harder to be aware of how your shoulder is centrated on the glenoid. Um, so just giving him more proprioceptive awareness by putting him down towards the ground, um, allowed him to perform the task a lot more proficiently, give him the field in the correct areas. Uh, and, and that's where we were really trying to emphasize um, building strength capacity. So we got up to, with those three exercises, we got up to 10, 12 reps, started loading them up to um, a five pound dumbbell. Um, and then eventually we got into a Y as well with that, a prone Y. Um, and then uh, the last exercise that I kind of took them to was a diagonal PNF D2 pattern. Um, with that, he was standing now. That was the only exercise I gave to him in standing at the time. Um, but uh, he, he had to be coached out of going into too much shoulder abduction because, uh, again, he wanted to go as far back as he could, which just would roll the humerus too far forward uh, and put a lot of pressure into the anterior shoulder structures, which, again, was primary reason why it was so provocative for him was that he was just kind of cranking himself into that position there. So getting a much more aware of shoulder position, humerus in the glenoid, um, and then going through only the range of motion that he could control and then kind of performing that with resistance. Um, we did tie that in eventually to doing that on just a single leg. So doing a little bit of like a hip hinge RDL pattern into that diagonal D2 pattern. Um, because all the while we were, I was trying to give him like three, four exercises that he could just do in the weight room back at college for his lower extremity too, just because he was so <laughs> uncoordinated just on a single leg. So we did a reverse lunge, a lateral lunge, and a single leg RDL to just get him some type of single leg coordination stability, which obviously is going to be helpful for him when he's pitching as well too, because he's going to be loading that single leg stance um, and really having to drive off that leg and power through that too. So the better we can get him stronger in the lower extremity, more stable in the lower extremity, better ability to display power, the more that's just going to translate through the arm as opposed to having to use the shoulder and the elbow to create all of his force and velocity from his pitches. So um, we had that talk a lot too as far as why that was so important for him to work the legs and why he needed to start doing that a lot more than what he currently was. Um, so when you look at that program as a whole, 
Um, it, it really didn't spend a ton of time on the elbow. We initially started there with some soft tissue and just some basic um, linear progression of exercises with resistance to that. Um, but then immediately we went to the shoulder and then after we got four exercises with the shoulder there, we started going to the lower extremity and really diving into that as well too. Um, and, and when he, his whole program in an entirety um, was a mixture of like eight to 10 exercises, um, the forearm stuff he was doing forearm and shoulder stuff he was doing more on a daily basis and a lot of the lower extremity stuff he was hitting on a three times a week basis. Um, so that's where we kind of went with this. Um, the, the last thing I want to mention about this too is again, he had been dealing with this issue for a long period of time, playing through this issue for a long period of time too. Um, he's not necessarily, uh, he's not at a point where he's going to be going to the next level. Um, so really surgery, there's no point of kind of talking about that type of option too, for like an instability aspect of the shoulder. Cause he, you, he had some issues at the shoulder, um, and potentially he had some people who suggest that type of route as well too. Um, but it doesn't affect him during the day and when he's at rest is really not painful either. It's just when he goes into the game and performs a lot of pitches and he's at his senior year. So he's got one more year left. He's kind of going into that right now. And it was like, you know, I just want to be able to pitch for my senior year is really the goal that he had and, and feel confident in doing that. Um, but he wasn't, he's not going to the next level. Um, and I, I think sometimes a lot of um, orthopedic mindsets kind of go into how can you fix the structure, but he's been dealing with that for his whole life. Um, so why do we need to try to change that? Why can't we manage the current issue, get him functioning optimally in the, the his current state of being, um, and just continue to optimize that as life goes on? Um, because again, in a very sh short period of time here, he's not going to be playing high level sport anymore. He's going to move on to the to a, a working life, um, and you know. Is he can be fully functional with his shoulder the way it currently is, um, and I think that's an important mindset to have. To where sometimes an issue becomes more of a management throughout the lifespan, um, and that's really what I kind of want to instill with him is that over the years you're going to have to still work on some things with the shoulder because it's it, it's going to be a battle for you ongoingly. But it doesn't mean that you have to be going into surgery later on down the road because you're you're a young dude you don't need to necessarily go that route um if you're able to do everything that you want to do in life um so uh it that that's very personal and kind of touching it and it, it varies person to person but i think it's an important concept to kind of touch into too is that a lot of these athletes they push themselves to the limit um and eventually there is a time after athletics as well too. And you have to kind of be considering that when you're talking to the patient and what their long-term outcomes are, are going to be and, and have the best intentions for the athlete, um, both in the short term and the long term, and discuss those options with them so that they can make an informed decision about what is best for them. So hope you guys found that helpful. Um, appreciate you guys staying with me through the whole talk, John. Um, Duji, thanks for joining in on the end there too. Um, as you watch the rest of the video, um, feel free to go back, ask me any questions uh, as it pertains to the case study. I'll 
be sure to dive a little bit deeper and answer any questions you have. If there's anything in the future you'd like me to discuss a little bit more deeply or a certain topic that is you know, outside of this as well too, uh, let me know and uh, we'll be sure to keep doing these in the future. Um, and everybody have a great day, great weekend. Thanks.